Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. Today's topic is sacred cows, near and dear to my heart, because I'm originally from India, and that's where the expression came from. Sacred cows are the idea or a certain set of beliefs that we hold as inviolate. They form part of our reality. We tend to hold them beyond reproach, beyond question, and this creates a lot of problems. So if we think back, Z, to history and think about some of the most famous examples of sacred cows, I think of Galileo. Galileo was an astronomer, astrophysicist, and he believed that the Earth revolved around the sun. This violated the Aristotle view of the universe, where the Earth was at the center of the universe. This was a complete affront to the Catholic Church. They claimed that it violated the Bible. It diminished their sense of self-importance. It diminished the importance of man within the universe. And because of that, Galileo was put under house arrest. He was threatened with torture. None of his books were allowed to be published, and he wasn't allowed to discuss his views. And today, of course, we know that he was correct. We know that many advances have come from that view. Our ability to understand the universe, space, go to the moon, possibly go to Mars, stem from his view of the universe, which was correct. And yet, the opposite view at the time was a sacred cow. And the people who held that notion to be sacred weren't willing to even consider evidence that conflicted with that view. As humans, we have a long history of holding on to sacred cows. And I think today we're seeing this maybe more so than ever. There are so many examples of sacred cows in our society. We can think about the idea of patriotism, which we've talked about in the past. After 9-11, when our country was thinking about going into Iraq, we talked about weapons of mass destruction. And at the time, if there were any questions about whether that was the right move, or the weapons existed, or where's the evidence, the response was, you're unpatriotic and you're supporting terrorists. So the idea that we had to go to war to defend our country was a sacred cow. And that, of course, has led to tens of thousands of deaths, trillions of dollars in cost. You fast forward beyond that. There's a sacred cow around capitalism. Capitalism is a system that works. We're not a country of socialists. And I wouldn't advocate for one system versus the other. That's not really the point of this discussion. But the point is that a lot of that view informs our policy. And policymakers are unwilling to do anything that runs counter to their notions of capitalism or that feels like a handout. And at times, that means that people in our society lack a safety net. We see that even more recently in response to the police and the spate of killings of black men. There are questions about what is the role of police and is the role of police to maintain law and order for some, that's a sacred cow. Others are challenging that and saying, let's defund the police. 
let's limit the extent of their activities. But that becomes very threatening for people who hold up the police as a mechanism to enforce law and order, protect their view of the world, protect their own interests. And again, the point is not to say one view is right and the other view is wrong. The point is really to explore, number one, why we hold these ideas so strongly, and perhaps more importantly, what is the cost of holding on to these sacred cows? I think there's cost in terms of our own evolution. So it limits our ability to acquire knowledge, to live better, to make better decisions. There's also a cost in terms of anxiety, because if we are defending views that we sense might not be true, if we are filtering out reality, selectively looking at evidence, it becomes very difficult to maintain our view. It creates anxiety, it creates mental turmoil, and that's only going to be bad for our health. Z, as we start this discussion, maybe we can go back to the origins of the phrase sacred cow. Talk a bit about how the phrase sacred cow originated, what it was really intended to convey, and what it's turned into today. Sure, Ben. Um, we're going to go over some ground we've covered before, and I hope this gives everybody a tool. I also want to keep in the front of the discussion what you said is protecting our reality. That's one of the things that the sacred cow does. It protects our structure of how we frame our reality. The term sacred cow comes from an observation of outsiders venturing into India, and particularly during the time of famine in India. And you would have uh, different people from different parts of the world, particularly Westerners, would come in. They would observe the starving in India and say, look at these people, they don't eat the cows. Uh, at the time, the large majority of Indian people did not consider the cow um, a source of calories or nourishment. Well, why? Well, there is, uh, as I explained before, there, is, there was a time in history where the cow, when India was going through great difficulties, uh, the, the population was decimated, and uh, the cow provided nourishment for the children. When that was done, I told you the story of my buddy Vijay, who explained this whole thing to me in a very dramatic way. When the uh, weather was really poor and the, the cold was all over uh, regions of India, the cow dung provided heat <clears throat> to heat the homes and, 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 and giving them something to use to cook with. The cow also was strong and could walk when it was time to plant seeds. When the people were so weak from the famine, it was the cow that walked and allowed them to plow the fields and till the soil. So the cow was always a common and agreed upon devotional reference to gratitude. So gratitude is a, an underlying ethical theme and part of the social glue of India. So what does it do? No one believes the cow is anything other than a cow. They don't believe that the cow is a human being. <clears throat> the cow is this or that, but the cow is a deity. A deity of what? A deity of, of reverence, of devotion, and of gratitude. So if you have those underlying themes in a society, it is part of the glue that holds a society 
or culture together in a way for them to function day to day. It's to remind you that you were here because something was sacrificial in its efforts to preserve your life. So you did not get here on your own. So it's not a culture built on the idea of rugged individualism. Something happened, something occurred. Uh, this beast of burden provided for you things you could not provide for yourself. So for that reason, we're going to allow, allow it to move about society unmolested, unharassed, and not as a source of nutrition or food or anything like that. So that's where we get the term sacred cow. Now every group, every culture has a sacred cow. And as you said so well, how we frame our reality. And if you do a critical analysis of that, how did we frame that reality? What frames our reality? We have decided certain things are sacred cows. You mentioned patriotism. If anyone questions someone, you can yell at them and say, I am more patriotic than you. You can wave a bigger flag. And it usually shuts down any discussion or any critical thinking or analysis of a situation. And whoever is challenging your view, if your cow of patriotism is yelled loudest, waved hardest, decorated more, uh, uh, more uh, opulently, then they can't speak anymore without a call to mob violence or cancel them or whatever it is. So we have different sacred cows. We have the sacred cow of, of, of racism, for example, that most of us have agreed on the idea of the white supremacy, right? We've all agreed to that. And people say, oh, I'm not white supremacist. No, we've agreed to it just like we've agreed that a kilogram weighs X amount and a pound is 16 ounces. We've all agreed with that to some variation of expression. It's a sacred cow. Right? You see a white lie versus a black lie, so forth. You don't want to really tell a black lie. It's okay, what? You know, you have really dark forces all around you as opposed to light forces around you. And then you assign that to the simplest term. So the, the better you are, the closer you are to good, the more you are white. And once you enter the realm of white, whatever you do isn't as bad as if it's in the realm of black. So not only do white people, so-called white people, benefit from that, but even people of color support it in their own way, right? All over Africa and India, you have the idea that fair complexion, that's a sacred cow. Unfair is agreed upon. Even by dark-skinned people, they believe themselves to be unfair. So who wants to be unfair, right? We've talked about that. We have a unspoken sacred cow that having a boy baby is better than having a girl baby. People say, oh, what are you having? Oh, I'm having a boy. That's wonderful. Oh, what are you having a girl? Oh, okay. Well, good luck, right? Even though it is from a critical thinking position, if there were no girls, how the hell would we have boys? But you would think that that would fall into the realm of simply critical thinking on in general, but it doesn't. There are whole villages in China and India that are absence of females. That for 30 years there have been no females. So when the men come of age, they're rushing about looking for wives, but they also have never developed social skills in interacting with women. 
So they often deal with women in such an egregious way that no women want to be around them. <clears throat> so you see how these sacred cows can create challenges for all of us. We have the sacred cow of political affiliations. I have people that every time I speak to them, they say, you know what the left is doing? You know what the left is doing? You know what the left is doing? It sounds just like that. And you know it's going to be something negative. But they never the left only exists because there's a right. The left responds to the right. The right responds to the left. But if your sacred cow is the left cow or, your, or the right cow, then all, all discussion stops right there. The boundary is set up. I will only see that thing as valuable, valid, worthwhile, or I will also deny any failings of that cow. So that's uh, one of the challenges we see societally. As you said earlier, the discussions are being lost not in the essence or elements of the discussion, but in the worshiping of various deities or sacred cows. All discussion ends. Once that ends, then there's no way to move forward for the people involved in that interaction, that dialogue, that conflict. Husband and wives have sacred cows. There's always something, if you do this, I'm okay. If you don't do that, all bets are off, family, everything, right? There are, um, I was discussing with a friend of mine, when I was in Indonesia, uh, a girlfriend of mine introduced me to her father. And the father and I had a wonderful conversation. We, I sat there with the father and the mother. And we had a wonderful discussion. The father's a very intelligent man. We, we, we shared our like of certain types of literature and so forth. And he said, I really enjoyed your company, Z. And he informed his daughter, I'd like to go out with Z again um, in a few nights. So I meet him for dinner. And this time he's there with another woman. And she says, well, that's my, my, my other mother. I said, what, what do you mean your other mother? The woman's two years older than you. What, what do you mean? She said, well, that's his comfort wife. I said, comfort wife, how does that work? Well, my mom takes care of the issues and business of my father and the family, and the comfort wife takes care of the issues and business of only my father. I said, so it's like he married a mistress, and she didn't know what I meant at all. For in that country, there was not a sacred cow that prevented that idea, that discussion from even existing. And from all my observation, the mother growing up in that culture and the other woman, uh, the other wife growing up in that culture, there was a non-issue. I raised that issue with certain people who were raised in Western culture, and they said, that, that's a deal breaker. That's a sacred cow. That's a deal breaker. It would never work for me. It would never work. So we all have these different sacred cows that often are in conflict with other people's sacred cows. And what I... When I talk about this with people, it is not to necessarily negate their sacred cow, but get them to truly observe and acknowledge what it is. It's a sacred cow. It's not real. It's not um, something that is tangible, except that you've given it life, you've given it weight, you've made an agreement that that sacred cow is so important that you would fall on the sword for it. 
We have sacred cows that are often more subtle to us. When we see a person dressed in religious garb, the sacred cow often assumes that the uniforming of that individual elevates their social status, their morality, um, their ethics to a point where they can go unchallenged. We also see that with people of authority. We see someone in a uniform. We assume that they're a good guy. That sacred cow in our mind doesn't allow us to analyze and judge that person just how we analyze and judge everybody else. We have the issue now with the police uh, and this idea of of immunity, uh, implied immunity, that it is assumed that a police is acting in the best interest of society, thus anything they do cannot be challenged. So they are immune from liability in the death, injury, suffering, or damaging of property of most people. It's implied immunity. So the Supreme Court recently wouldn't even question that and said, yeah, they have implied immunity. Well, that's a sacred cow. Let's not step on that. <clears throat> it's the same way we look at religion. The imposition of religious sacred cows upon other groups. So in the, um, uh, in, the, in the social community, people's sexuality and gender would come in conflict with some come in conflict with someone's sacred cow on who should marry who, who has the right to who love who and who marry who. So we're allowing these sacred cows to trample over the rights of other people. That becomes something that brings tension and stress to people. So my dog in the fight has always been, <clears throat> what can we do to mitigate suffering and stress of individuals? What can we really do in our world and in our life and us as individuals to mitigate our own suffering? I would say one of the things we could do is examine our own individual sacred cows as they trample on the general flow and harmony of human interaction. Are there sacred cows between husbands and wives? Are there expectations we have of each other that if we don't honor those expectations, it can devastate the family? What about in working relationships? You have all sorts of sacred cows that are known and unknown. And when they're unknown, it becomes very catastrophic. So you have boundaries with friendships in your workspace. Things you can say and not say to people represent... Uh, marching around the sacred cow and garlanding that sacred cow so you get to the point where people at work are no longer working as a team but they're working in an adversarial way walking through the landmine the minefields of sacred cows right so that's where you want to identify your individual sacred cow or sacred calves sacred bulls whatever they are and in the multitude because remember they are sacred cows cows are big animals and if you have a herd of cows they can cause a stampede, and that's what we're seeing societally. <clears throat> Sometimes easy questions and answers cannot be so easily answered because of those sacred cows and the stampeding of those cows. You look at society and you ask, is it okay or not okay to kill someone? And we'll say, of course it's not okay to kill, but is it okay if you're a policeman to kill someone? Well. Did they do a bad thing? Did they do a bad thing? If they did a bad thing, can they be executed? Right? Because, of course, the police has implied immunity. So whatever he does is in the greater interest of us as a society. You see the problem with that, right, Vin?
Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole notion of sacred cows is completely insane. And as we've talked about, believing anything dogmatically in a world where things are very fluid, whereas we've often said there's no single truth, no one owns the truth, the truth might be different depending on the context, depending on the angle at which you're looking at a situation. There are many layers to it, so you really have to dig deep if you want to get to the root of some situation. And there are plenty of people around who are going to try and manipulate public opinion to serve their own ends. So there's so many false narratives that are going around. It would seem that given the nature of reality, given the nature of the world, the ease with which information or misinformation can spread through social media, through the internet, we would do the opposite. We would take a very scientific approach and we would say, let's question everything. Let's trust things provisionally. Let's take evidence as it comes. Let's try and falsify our beliefs. So instead of looking for supporting evidence, which we often do to confirm whatever we think is the truth, let's look for other perspectives that challenge our view. And either that can modify our view, so maybe we end up closer to the truth. Or if our original position is correct, by going through that challenge, we'll have strengthened our position and our own belief and our own sense of what's right and wrong. So that seems to be a rational approach. I think it's always been that way. Arguably, it's even more so today because of the speed with which information spreads because of how easy it is to spread false narratives, uh, frankly, to doctor videos, doctor evidence. You've got alternative, sorry, not alternative, but uh, artificial intelligence, which can create fake videos, which are indistinguishable from reality. So if that's the world we're in, why not take a very hard look at the information that we're receiving and the information that informs our views and ask ourselves whether it's a solid foundation or if there are holes in that foundation, and perhaps we need a more complete picture. We need to strengthen the basis for that view, or perhaps abandon it and move on to a different view. So if I take that as a starting point, that this whole notion of holding on to sacred cows is problematic, it makes even less sense today than it did in the past, but we look in contrast at what society is doing. So at a time when you would want to hold on to sacred cows less and less, we seem to be holding on to these beliefs more and more. I've got to ask why. What is the reason that we're holding on to these beliefs? And it seems like so much of our security, so much of our identity is wrapped up in these sacred cows. So you take something like patriotism. We feel that we are good, we are righteous, we are a force of positive change in the world. And therefore, we can't question anything that the U.S. government does. And it's not just the U.S. I don't want to pick on the U.S. You see the same phenomenon around the world. In China, it's the same thing. You've got a propaganda machine that's in place. And people are willing to believe this because it gives them a sense of purpose, a sense of righteousness, maybe a sense of being better than the rest of the world. So part of it is how it makes us feel to hold on to these beliefs. It's almost a moral imperative that we take uh, from holding on to these beliefs. And then if you look beyond that, there are systems in place which are built around the beliefs. So the beliefs themselves are just beliefs and they're subject to change. 
there's no physical manifestation of a belief per se. But there are systems and institutions which become, which manifest on top of those beliefs. Uh, so if you look at something, uh, as you said, Z, this idea of white supremacy, that white is better, well, what is the impact of that? What does that mean for people in power? What does that mean for executives of companies who are white and have risen up in part because of their race? There's not an incentive to change that. If there is a society and there's an unequal distribution of wealth and people recognize that, but hey, I live in a big house. I don't want to give up my house. I want to make sure the police are there to protect me. So yes, maybe there is some injustice, but we need law and order. And my entire livelihood, the life that I have structured, is based on that belief of law and order and there being a force to intervene and perpetuate the system, whether the system is right or wrong. So if we think about it in that context, there are these impediments to dismantling the sacred cows. How do you think about that? How do you think about addressing, number one, the sense of safety that we get uh, from holding on to these beliefs? And number two, some of the other organizations and institutions that are built around these beliefs that make it very hard to change them. Well, Vin, I look at it, as you know, in a more existential way. How can we mitigate human suffering? It always comes back to that for me. So I do my best to be that dispassionate observer and look at it in, 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 in the context of life as a whole. As you were talking, I was thinking about sacred cows, and I was thinking about in Africa, there's an animal called a wildebeest, and it's kind of like a cow. And every now and then, every few seasons, uh, they populate, their herds become huge, and they kind of run like lemmings. The problem is they're thousand-pound lemmings. These things run, and anything in its way would just get mowed down. Your car, anything could get crushed. So if you're caught in a herd of wildebeest, you have to basically find high ground behind a rock or something or somewhere and just wait till the herd goes by because there's nothing that can stop it. If you imagine each one of those wildebeest being our collective sacred cows and they're almost indistinguishable from one another except we'll get one and we'll want to garland that cow with a like you go in India you have different religions and the way you distinguish people's celebrations and festivals is how who's more colorful who's more flowerful which deity is the biggest? Which one is lit with the greatest flame or fire or chanted the highest or mantra? So you have these different denominations of the same religion following different deities and gurus. And it's the garlanding, the garlanding of that sacred cow that gives it its strength and its, its loudness, so to say. So oftentimes it takes a lot of people to buy in to the deification of that cow, even though it is no different than anyone else's. And as I'm listening to you and I think about what we're going through as a society, and we talk about, as you mentioned, not to beat this sacred cow too much, but white supremacy, it's not so much that it's the problem of white people or it's something that white, it's not a problem for white people. It's, it's not a problem at all for white people, unless you're in love with somebody of color or you have children of color. The problem is for people of color who get a temporal benefit from it by the buy-in or the subjugating of themselves to it, 
they reach a certain status, as Malcolm said, they become house niggas, or they become the pet of white supremacy, and they have to maintain that even more, <clears throat> with even more reverence than a person born or inheriting the legacy of that. That's problematic, because there's a constant maintenance that's required. There's also other sacred cows. Uh, there was a medical announcement came out that something like a disproportionate number of the American population are suffering from metabolic unhealth. They're metabolically unhealthy. More than 50% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So the sacred cow of fatalism towards your health, that some deity of some kind will rescue me from my own self, and they're not really doing anything about their general metabolic well-being. So now that there are different bugs and viruses going around, people are less resilient. But the fatalism of that sacred cow prevents them from exploring other opportunities or getting on board with other sacred cows. Maybe they can get on the health food or go to the gym sacred cow. And, and worshiping that cow, cow requires you to go to the gym or watch your diet or something. And 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 what I'm I'm saying here, and I hope what we're getting at for people, is that you don't have to knock anybody's sacred cow. You want to be aware of what it is and how it affects you, and you definitely don't want to be caught in the stampede of the sacred cow. You don't want to get crushed under the herd of sacred cows, and that's what oftentimes happens when you see all these different movements going on. That it's so confusing. You have no idea of what's going on in your world. Our world looks like chaos because there are so many sacred cows. They're like now wildebeest. You're getting trampled uh, with this madness. And if we could find high ground, step away, acknowledge what our cow is, distinguish it from the others, but acknowledge it is no more valuable than the other people's sacred cow, then we would find a way to promote a higher level of harmony and a path through the chaos so that we can do our worship and hopefully we keep it to ourselves. Whatever sacred cow we're worshiping doesn't require the suffering of another cow or the sacrifice of someone else's cow. And that's a very, very difficult strategy to put forth. What I learned from living in India and traveling in India was there were, as problematic as things could be in India, there was a general way that people accepted the sacred cows of others, the stylings of others. You know, there are different religions. There are the Jain, the Parsi, uh, under the, the idea of Hinduism or extensive Hinduism. And I remember being in Mumbai, and there was a place where the Parsis take their dead. And it was called, uh, I think, the, the, the Temple of, of Silence. And I went with a, a friend to a memorial service. And um, one of the gifts or curses that I have is that I'm not really attached to any particular sacred cow. So I can give, I can tag along and let that cow drag me around for a while. When I decide I'm, I'm not into it, I can let it go. But it allows me to appreciate other people and get to know them to some extent and understand them. And that understanding gives me a better understanding of the world. And I tend not to walk around mad at people or disgusted by people. So I go to the Parsi place, and if you know anything about the Temple of Silence and how they dispose of their dead, they basically pound the body, pulverize the body, 
wash it down, pulverize it, and then raise it up on what looks to be a flagpole. It goes up on the flagpole, and crows descend upon the corpse and eat it. The remains fall into a vat of acid and are simply dissolved down into a fluid. And to watch this, initially, it's horrifying. It's just horrifying. But then you think about it. And somewhere, somehow, somebody thought, you know, they might as well, instead of burning the bodies, you might as well let the birds have them. And what does it do? It, it shows you, again, not unlike a funeral pyre. You're walking through the streets of Pondicherry or whatever, and you see your car stuck behind a, looks like a fruit cart. You look closer, and that fruit cart is filled with flowers. You look a bit closer, in the middle of that flowers is a dead body with cotton swab stuck up its nose and its eyes taped shut. You go, oh my God, I'm stuck in traffic right along with a corpse. And the people are walking the corpse to the funeral pyre. And what does it say? This religious country, constantly gods everywhere, and they're constantly reminding you that this human flesh is really nothing. As the Buddha said, it's a stinky bag that houses the soul. However you dispose of it, is representative of how you want to say, this is it. You're no longer here. Some people, elaborate funerals buried in golden caskets, embalming them with all sorts of preservatives and chemicals, removing the entrails and the brain and God knows what else. These are all sacred to different people. The problem comes when we fight over the right way to do it. Which cow to garland the most? Which cow is the most of sacred of sacred. So if we could let all that go, you'll find it's one more thing, one less thing that you have to be in conflict with, that allows you to be more agreeable and understanding of people in your daily life. Everybody has a different way. And you also find one of the beauties of religion like intimacy is if you keep it to yourself, you tend not to have conflicts with people. When you look at the conflicts of people in the world, it is often over the way that one worships their sacred cow. At this point in history, there is no probability of peace in the Middle East. People of basically the same religion fighting over which cow should be garlanded the most and which one should give the right of way to the other. It has caused the death of millions of people and seemingly endless suffering of others the destruction of economy, the prevention of scientific development, and an endless volatile state and walking to war, all because that sacred cow. And then when people look at India and say, look at these people, aren't they crazy? They worship a cow. Look around the world, look in our culture. The myth of race is a sacred cow. There are no white and black people on earth. Everybody's of a common species of hominin known as sapien. They all came from somewhere around my neighborhood and we've, uh, we have evolved and grown and our cultures are all extracts of one another's. There's no such thing as cultural appropriation. 
There's this diff, diff, this ridiculous idea that people grab, grab, uh, bound by gravity somewhere. Someone owns culture. You go to some archive somewhere or some universal um, office of culture and you have a patent on culture. No one owns culture. There's no such thing as cultural appropriation, but that's a sacred cow. So we have all these different sacred cows that inevitably, if we overgarden them, we will find ourselves in conflict with someone else. It can not only our nations at conflict, but remember these conflicts started in a much more uh, limited space. Husband and wife, father and son, daughter and mother, brother, sister. So you have these sacred cows, these lines in the sand you draw. Then you worship them until you give them life. And now that cow goes from just being a, a lowly beast of burden to a god. You've elevated to the level of a god. And all that god really wants to do is, is, is eat its grass and not be bothered. But we have elevated it to something to fight a war over. And that's where it creates problems. So as our formula always goes, Vin, sit down quietly and ask yourself, what are your sacred cows? What are your sacred cows that you have, as you said, they're, 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 they're indelible. You, you can never breach this. What was the word you used where we just can't even question it? Right? Yeah, yeah, I said inviolate. Yeah, inviolate. Like we can't even consider it. This is the way it is. And it's the way it is because I worship it, I honor it, I revere it, and so should you. And if you don't do that, I wish hell upon you. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But that's what we do. And we don't know we're doing it. Right? And I've learned over the years, and something, again, learned from traveling, observing the different customs, courtesies, and views of people, the different layers of morality and ethics. You know what? Make up your own shit. That's the best way to roll. Pick a little bit of this, a little bit. Design your own cow like a children's game. You know, design your own guy. You know what? I, I think people can learn a lot from children. They used to have a children's toy called Mr. Potato Head. And you could take a potato and stick all kind of stuff on it and make it whatever you want. Mr. Potato Head. So everybody should look at their sacred cow as Mr. Potato Head. And then design it in the way that favors you and supports you, but also understand that would you like harmony in your life? So maybe make your Mr. Potato Head or your sacred cow one that promotes harmony in the world, at least in your world. And you will be, you will lower the stress quotient in your life. You talk about stress, and it's interesting because it leads to such crazy behavior. I was talking to someone during the pandemic, and they were saying they knew someone who went outside without a mask, this person went outside to exercise. And there are a lot of people who go out and exercise and don't wear masks. It's difficult to breathe. You're outdoors. If you're not that close to people, the risk of infecting someone else is going to be very low. But there's some people who believe so violently that everyone should wear a mask. Someone 
accosted this person. They cross the street to get in this person's face and yell at them for not wearing a mask and then follow them for a bit while they were trying to continue on their run. You think about the insanity of that. You're willing to get up in someone's face, expose yourself to the same virus that a mask would protect you from. So you're willing to take that risk. Uh, You're complaining about someone not wearing a mask because it's putting other people at risk. And then you're taking that exact same risk that you're concerned about just to make a point. You're also escalating a situation. You're raising your blood pressure. You're risking a fight. You're risking physical harm. For what? For an idea. For an idea that there's no logic behind. Because at the end of the day, you're taking the same risk that you are seeking to avoid. But it comes down to holding that belief so strongly that it incenses you to see anyone behaving differently. It's the opposite of what you're describing, the live and let live approach. And I can't help but think that so much of this comes down to validation, uh, that we're looking for validation. Maybe that's the basis of these ideas. We hold these ideas because the people around us hold them. There's a certain comfort that we take when everyone is behaving the same way. If we're unsure of ourselves, of what the right direction is, what the right worldview is, a way to deal with that uncertainty is to declare absolutes and say, this is the way it's got to be. My way is the right way. Let me surround myself with people who think the exact same way, who say the exact same thing, and I feel very comfortable. The problem with that is as soon as you see someone else who does something different, that becomes threatening because you're not receiving that validation. And then the problem feeds on itself because suddenly the other person is the outlier. They've got to create their own tribe. And the only way to do that, Z, as you're saying, is to escalate the situation. So you've got such an incendiary absolute position on the one hand. The way to counter that and attract attention is to take an equally polar view on the opposite side so that you can get the attention, you can get the validation, you can form your own tribe. And I think that's exactly what we see today. You've got so much of a divergence politically between the left and the right. You've got some people who are... Uh, very in favor of socialism because that's a reaction to this other sacred cow, which is capitalism, and everything should be free market-based. Everything should just everything should be measured by the ability of our economy to grow and companies to generate profits. So when that became an absolute, then you see this other movement, which is a counter to that absolute, and it's an absolute in the other direction. Uh, which is everyone should get a universal life income and we should move more to a socialist environment. Uh, So you end up seeing this polarization because that's the nature of the game. As you said, the whole game is to make your cow as visible as possible, to put on the biggest garlands, the most decorative coloring. And that's fine if you're trying to attract attention and get validation. But the problem is that creates more and more escalation. So it's always putting you in conflict with someone else. So if we think, as you said, about identifying our sacred cows and being able to step back, maybe gain some perspective, not engage, so something doesn't affect us, even if it repulses us. Uh, You mentioned the example of the Parsi death ritual. Even if we find it repulsive, we don't understand it, If we investigate it, keep an open mind, understand the context and the history, we may say, yeah, we don't love it, but so what? 
I don't need to call these people savages. I don't need to condemn condemn them. It's just a different way of approaching life. How can we start moving in that direction, the direction of de-escalation, conflict avoidance, living and let living, when we're at a point where these ideas and these sacred cows are such a strong part of our identity that it probably feels scary. You know, it's like we've held on to them for so long. They're so familiar uh, that even if it's a weight on our shoulders, we'll miss the feeling of that weight. We won't know who we are if we suddenly drop that. And that feels very frightening and very unstable. And I think we're seeing a lot of that instability today uh, because people's views are being threatened and challenged. And the natural response is to double down and just scream about your own view more vociferously. How do we change that mindset and get to more of an objective state where we're willing to understand our own biases, our own sacred cows, question them, and ultimately, if they're not serving us, let go? For those who are opt-outs, those people who are looking to navigate the frontier as an independent thinker, it is an important exercise and skill set to develop to be the observer, the owner, and the, uh, the taskmaster of the self to know the self. In simple terms, what is your sacred cow, you as an individual? Get to know what that is. So when you see tension, negative, negative energy, stress rising up, you know how to discern your cow from the others and keep walking. Keep it humble, keep it mellow. The world is edgy. It's draining right now. As he said, more than half of the U.S. population is in metabolic distress. What does that say about a society? Something is wrong. The, 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 the pandemic is the pandemic because there are so many people with underlying health conditions. So anything you can do to walk, your, walk yourself back from that cliff and get yourself metabolically healthy, one would be wise to do. One of those things is reducing the stress imprint on your life and your psyche. Protect your mental health. These sacred cows are religious in nature. What do I mean? Religion has nothing to do with spirituality or philosophy. It means your habit. And the, the sacred cow has given a certain identity to your habit. Thus, we call that oftentimes call that our faith or whatever. So you have these things that you either have interest in or sort of bought in and then you have an echo chamber of people that say it. Now you have a congregation of people that are going there and they're, they're offering tithing and offerings to the sacred cow and then it becomes a real movement, a real force that you find and you connect again your identity to your relevance to, but it doesn't make you more relevant than anyone else. It doesn't make you a better human being than anyone else. It doesn't protect you anymore. It's the illusion. So how do you peel through the veil? Is first be aware that it's there and then reject it. I always tell people, make up your own religion. If you need a religion, make up one that serves you. I remember being somewhere in the Middle East and there was a guy whipping himself. 
and he was just bloody and he was whipping himself and he was self-flagellating and there was a crowd cheering and he's getting closer to God. And I said, well, I, that's not a religion for me. So I went on and I was traveling. I was really looking for deeper understanding of the cosmos and spirituality. And I saw a man in India and he was just rolling behind a rickshaw, just rolling for miles. His body was bruised and scarred and dirtied up from sewage and he was just rolling. And they said, he's rolling towards God. Well, I guess that's not a religion for me. So I tried something. Then I met a Mormon guy. He says, Mormons are great. He says, what the, but at the moment of death, you got to turn white to enter heaven. I said, well, I guess I won't do that religion. Then there was another religion that required everybody to chop their penis up and do genital mutilation. I said, that's not for me. So what I tell people, find something that works for you, that serves you, that gives you centering and groundedness, and it's nice to you. I mean, is that not unreasonable? Don't you want a religion and a God that likes you? So just make up your own. Whether it's the spaghetti monster or Mr. Potato Head or the divine Buddha of, of uh, Foxy Lady Strip Club, which Ben loves. So whichever one it is, as long as you go there and it, 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 it elevates your humanity. What do I mean by Can you get along with people? Can you see the chaos of humanity and separate yourself from it. Can you not overreact to people who have different views than you and really see the source of most of these differences born in ignorance? Can you see the rage of people? Protect yourself, of course. Defend yourself from the rage directed at you, but also know that it's not personal. Whenever I see the hatred uh, that is expressed towards people, even when dealing with law enforcement and the hatred they have uh, towards people of color and things like that, I don't take it personal because I know they're following their religion. No difference when I see the Jehovah Witness knocking on my door and I'm looking through the peephole and I yell out, nobody's home. They want to sell me their magazine. I don't hate those people. I know that these people are mired in ignorance. It is not personal. It is their sacred cow. My sacred cow requires me to constantly pursue enlightenment, intelligent, and to take a reasoned and measured approach towards the events of life, right? I've taken something from Buddhism. I've taken something from Hinduism. I've taken something from Taoism. And I shape it. It's my own Mr. Potato Head. And I worship my sacred cow in that way. And it asks me every day, to read, to study, to listen, to be a bit more empathetic, a bit more compassionate, and far more intelligent than I was the day before. And I found in doing that, I get along with people. I have my own stresses and things of dealing in the material world and being in the stampede of wildebeest, having to function in the world and, 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 and so forth. But there are other stresses I don't have. I don't have the stress of self-identity. And so we're going to have stresses in this world just based on the forces of gravity and life and living with other people. But we're always striving to unburden ourselves. So find and, and, and fashion your own sacred cow. Frankenstein your religion together so that it serves you in a way that uplifts. How do you know that it's serving you? Well, you feel healthier. You feel better. You find yourself in a, around people that maybe have different views and ideas than you, and it doesn't bother you. 
You don't walk away and you're not lingering on to rage and hatred. You can watch people with objectivity and dispassion and get on with your life. You can listen to people who may have uh, bizarre views, bizarre rituals, and you can say, okay, I get them. It's not for me, but I understand. So now you're able to navigate this world a lot better. You're a happy traveler. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I follow you, and it's interesting listening to you that we're not talking about getting rid of ideas, beliefs, getting to a point where nothing matters to you. It, what's interesting about what you're saying is that it's fine to have sacred cows. It's fine to believe in certain things. Uh, you've got a certain view about your life, about spirituality. Other people, they may have very strong beliefs in human rights. Others, it might be economic, others religious, whatever the case may be. Uh, but a couple of caveats. Uh, caveat number one, as you're saying, is make sure that the belief is serving you. If it's doing nothing but elevating your stress and blood pressure, you might question why you're holding on to that belief. And two, even if you have a belief, and even if you hold that belief very strongly, and this, I think, is really the critical point, you don't need to convert everyone. You don't need to go and force other people to acknowledge you, to validate you, to agree with you, to change their mind. You can hold on to that belief, but you recognize that the world is big enough and diverse enough that there are a lot of different ways of thinking. There are a lot of different priorities that people have. Maybe your priorities are different than someone else's. Your history, your culture, your values, those are all different. And the world can accommodate a lot of different beliefs. I love the point that you made about standing up for yourself. So yes, if someone else believes something that hurts you, and not only do they believe it, they use that to oppress you or attack you, yeah, guess what? You got to do something about it. That's a conflict that you can't avoid. But if it's just a belief, and it's a belief that you don't agree with, who cares? What difference does it make whether you proclaim your belief, you're the one who's seen as being right, everyone else falls in line with you? None of us are that important. None of us are going to rule the world, enforce our own ideologies. So I think it's a real skill to have, to be able to hold on to your own personal beliefs tightly, but not feel the need for validation, not feel the need to proselytize or convert or beat people over the head with things that you find important. And I think that's really what you're getting at, because that combination allows you to be that happy traveler, get through life without conflict. But at the same time, your life means something. You do have a set of beliefs that are important to you. You do have something that governs your actions, your life philosophy, your life practices. And I think if we can strike that balance, that's a very happy medium. And that's a good way to manage our lives and to manage our health. That's right. That's right, Vin. And again, everything we do is about wellness and mitigating suffering. So hopefully these are philosophical and intellectual tools and narratives you can develop to just get through this life as, as unencumbered as possible. Life is challenging anyway. We live in a world um, of all sorts of stuff's going on right now. A lot of confusion, a lot of chaos, a lot of sadness, a lot of despair. But life is about happiness and contentment. And I found that if you have a belief that part of the underlying element of your belief is to be content, to have gratitude, 
to have um, reverence, devotion, it takes you to a, a much healthier place. Imagine in your own life that you just don't have a lot of people you're fearful of or mad at, or you're not building a, a big wall around you that requires a tremendous amount of energy to carry that armament, that, that fortress around you to protect you from the scary world outside. And then the kinds of people you meet when you're that way, um, for good or for bad, whatever the outcome of my life is, I look at the world sometimes and I see the chaos and the conflicts, the, the macro and the micro, the different micro wars people are having. And in my life and in my world, I have so many different people that I consider to be friends, family, people I value and people I love. And my religion, my belief, my sacred cow tells me every day to check in with them and to know that what a, what a life I have, my God. I, I, I have friends, family members, people from every corner of the world. And I'm still me. I've never had to kowtow, pretend, adjust, be something that I wasn't in order to fit in. I seem to fit in everywhere I go. And I'm always me wherever I go. I don't hide that, adjust that. I'm very okay with me. So my sacred cow has taught me that. But again, I had to fashion my sacred cow. I had to Frank, my sacred cow looks more like Frankenstein than it does the Jersey cow, okay? Than the carnation bull or whatever the hell. It is um, a little bit from everywhere. And it's, it's a wonderful place. So just imagine that. Uh, right now we live in a world where people are mad every day or they see something on the news or you, they're, they're, they're riot, protesting and uprisings and, and just the sheer amount of discontent that is presented in the ionosphere of our life just rise above that and take a breath of fresh air. Get that sea breeze of intelligence. Right? And know that, yeah, it's okay for you to believe whatever you believe, and it's okay for me to believe whatever I believe. And I'm going to make it as a theme of my belief system not to tread on you, not to interfere with you. And I'm also going to do another thing where I'm going to contain myself where it just doesn't take a lot for me to be me. Your suffering is not needed to make me happy. That's a problem. Oftentimes people measure the suffering of others is the metric of their own happiness. So if I can take and standardize the, the altitude of my misery and I can push you down below me, then I'll feel better about myself. That's a hell of a religion. And many people follow that. The political climate of the day is simply based on that. It isn't based on the good deeds and goodwill towards humanity, the general idea of negotiation, compromise, support. Um, it's based on how much suffering can I inflict upon the other group so that I feel better. That is a sad state of affairs. You follow me, Vin? Yeah. I follow you, and it's interesting listening to you that 
we're not talking about getting rid of ideas, beliefs, getting to a point where nothing matters to you. It, what's interesting about what you're saying is that it's fine to have sacred cows. It's fine to believe in certain things. Uh, you've got a certain view about your life, about spirituality. Other people, they may have very strong beliefs in human rights. Others, it might be economic, others religious, whatever the case may be. Uh, but a couple of caveats. Uh, caveat number one, as you're saying, is make sure that the belief is serving you. If it's doing nothing but elevating your stress and blood pressure, you might question why you're holding on to that belief. And two, even if you have a belief and even if you hold that belief very strongly, and, and this I think is really the critical point, you don't need to convert everyone. You don't need to go and force other people to acknowledge you, to validate you, to agree with you, to change their mind. You can hold on to that belief, but you recognize that the world is big enough and diverse enough that there are a lot of different ways of thinking. There are a lot of different priorities that people have. Maybe your priorities are different than someone else's. Your history, your culture, your values, those are all different. And the world can accommodate a lot of different beliefs. I love the point that you made about standing up for yourself. So yes, if someone else believes something that hurts you, and not only do they believe it, they use that to oppress you or attack you, yeah, guess what? You got to do something about it. That's a conflict that you can't avoid. But if it's just a belief, and it's a belief that you don't agree with, who cares? What difference does it make whether you proclaim your belief, you're the one who's seen as being right, everyone else falls in line with you? None of us are that important. None of us are going to rule the world, enforce our own ideologies. So I think it's a real skill to have, to be able to hold on to your own personal beliefs tightly, but not feel the need for validation, not feel the need to proselytize or convert or beat people over the head with things that you find important. And I think that's really what you're getting at, because that combination allows you to be that happy traveler, get through life without conflict. But at the same time, your life means something. You do have a set of beliefs that are important to you. You do have something that governs your actions, your life philosophy, your life practices. And I think if we can strike that balance, that's a very happy medium and that's a good way to manage our lives and to manage our health. And that's right. And, and we can test ourselves, ask ourselves, once we start to identify the elements of our sacred cow, what is the energetic burden of that cow? Does it require the suffering of other people? Does it require that you gauge or measure yourself in a way that you can be ahead or behind somebody? then that sacred cow is probably not a holistic sacred cow. It's not a cow that will inevitably bring you the elements of life that make life rich and worth living. So asking yourself, what are the elements, what are the rules, what are the commandments of my sacred cow? Do I have to belittle somebody? Do I have to compare myself to others? Is that what I'm measuring it by? Do I have to put on costumes, uniforms to define myself? And then from there, I can position myself higher or lower than somebody. Or is my sacred cow allow me to be self-possessed, self-owned, and self-realized? And though I may feel the bumps and bruises 
of general human interaction. I can also harmonize that with the caresses of intimacy, closeness, of laughter, joy, and an ever-awareness that this life is shorter than we think. And while I'm here, it allows me to make the best of it. Because every day living in gratitude, in gratitude. So ask yourself that. And if you can say, yeah, my sacred cow allows me to live in gratitude independent of what other people are doing, then that's probably a good cow. And I think as we talk about this, there are a few things that come to mind. Humility is one. Perspective is another. Humor is a third. We just don't have to take ourselves that seriously. We're not that important. Our ideas aren't that important. Maybe one exercise that people can do to gain some perspective on their most sacred beliefs is to think about how your beliefs change over time. And there are plenty of people who are close to me. Uh, I could look at myself and do the same thing. Uh, There are things that uh, family members or friends have believed over the years, and they believe those things very deeply. And that was at a certain point in their life, uh, under a certain set of conditions, that circumstance changes, the perspectives change, and the beliefs change. I can look at my own life, my own priorities, things that seem to define me, that seemed incredibly relevant at the time. Now I look back and I say, you know what, it's really not that important. So if we go through that exercise, I think it'll give us a sense that these beliefs are somewhat arbitrary, they're contextual. Uh, Sometimes, yes, maybe they are sacred and we do want to hold on to them. A lot of times they come and they go. Uh, Why build a life around something that's ephemeral, around something that's here for a few moments and then disappears? It's not a good strategy for life. Uh, It's not something that is solid or sustainable. Uh, So if we're able to step back and create that perspective, not take ourselves so seriously, maybe we can loosen the grip on these beliefs. We can lessen that need that we have to prove that we're right, to get validation from others, and we can be that happy traveler that you're talking about. That's all they really want. I, I remember being up in Rishikesh, and I, I may have told you this story once. And I was at the ashram and trying to be as as fit in as much as I could, and but also coming from a whole different world. I was walking over into the tourist side of Rishikesh and then back into the, the, the local housing. And, you know, in India, the cows just walk around in the most inappropriate places. Wherever you are, there's just a cow standing. Oh, my God, there's a cow. Good grief. So the cows have their own type of intelligence. I, I can't truly speak to it. I'm not a veterinarian or anything like that. But I know they. everything has its own intelligence, right? So I guess the cow knew I wasn't from around there. And it just started kind of following me around, bumping up against me and I would walk a little faster and it would just kind of lumber over to me. And uh, it's kind of creepy because it's a big animal. You know, I'm, I'm a regular human and there's this creature, eight, 900 pound creature, friendly, I'm sure, vegetarian, I'm sure. But it had, you know, it's big, it's pushing me. Basically, it probably, tourists had given it stuff, I think. And looking back on it, it was probably used to tourists feeding it. So I didn't know if I was a local or tourist or whatever. So at some point, I walked down to the street. And I said, okay, I'm going to head back and go into this um, market, go into a daba and get something. I went to the daba. 
and the cow is waiting for me. And just for a moment, nobody's looking, and I said, I don't really want this cow around. I'm going to slap it in the head. So I smacked the cow in the head, just like that. And oh my God. Because in generations of these cows in India, no one had ever shown aggression towards these cows. You understand? And that cow let out some sort of noise of distress that everybody in the neighborhood came out and looked at me to see what happened. And this cow, oh, it put on a show. Oh, God, it put on a show like a crazy girlfriend. I slapped that cow, and it started dancing around and and then it fell over on its side. Everybody came out and looked at me like I was Satan himself, like I was the reincarnation of Satan manifest right there. It was horrible. It was frigging horrible. I said, oh, my God. And then I slowly weaseled out of the daba and snuck into somewhere and made my way back to the ashram. I was like, good God, I'll never do that again. So that was my cow story, right? The cow had never known an aggressive act. Isn't that something? <laughs> I always appreciate these stories. Every time we talk, I get a little more color on you and your history and what makes up the unique composition of Z. But you were lucky because uh, in India, it doesn't take much. You get a mob together, they beat the crap out of you, they kill you. Some people die because they get into traffic accidents. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was I was damn near there, man, because the whole town came out. And they looked at me, and I just kind of slithered back to the ashram and went into deep meditation. That was the biggest thing that had happened there in years. Then some years later, I used to go every year. Then I think 10 years after that, I was walking through Rishikesh. And this young man comes up to me and says, Hey, full power, man. Because at the time they thought I was extraordinarily muscular. I said, hey, he said, yeah, when I was a small boy, you beat up a cow. <laughs> I said, no, no, I didn't beat up the cow. No, everyone knows the story of you beating the cow. I said, no, I didn't beat the cow. I slapped the cow. Well, the rumor has now grown far beyond that, that I flipped the cow. I threw it over my shoulder. Good God. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've taken this analogy as far as we can with the sacred cows. But for everyone who's listening, learn from Z. Don't be like Z. Don't mess with the cow. Don't beat the cow. Don't build the cow up. Don't send the cow into battle. Just leave the cow alone. Leave the cow alone. Live peacefully like the cow. Cultivate some peace of mind and live and let live. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.